Welcome to the Spokesman Review Podcast. I'm reporter Kip Hill, coming to you from the Spokesman Review Newsroom in the Review Tower in downtown Spokane. Sorry about the delay in our program. A scheduled interview last week with Caroline Ray was canceled due to the weather. This week, we'll have a chat with local author Lena Crow on the release of her new short story collection, I'm Fine, But You Appear to Be Sinking, and we'll check in with Boise Bureau reporter Betsy Russell on the goings-on in the Idaho legislature. This is episode 79 of the podcast, premiering Tuesday, February 21st, 2017. Thanks for tuning in. You can find all episodes of our show on iTunes and Stitcher, or stream them in your browser at spokesman.com slash podcast. We're also on Facebook and Twitter, or you can email the show directly at podcast at spokesman.com. Let's get going. Longtime listeners of the show will probably recognize our next guest. Author Lena Crow penned the story Wild Child for last year's summer story series in the Spokesman Review, and this week saw the release of her short story collection, I'm Fine, But You Appear to Be Sinking, from publisher Featherproof Books. She's here now to read from that collection and sate my curious appetite for some of the stories behind her zany tales. So, Lena, take it away. Tiger, tiger. Something is amiss at the Rolson Meth Lab. Though, to be fair, something is always amiss over there. That's why we call it the Meth Lab, as opposed to the Rolson Estate or the Rolson's Place or that delightful home or that home where the delightful Mr. Rolson lives. My wife and I can't agree on what's making the sound or even what type of sound it is. I say it's mechanical, the cold rumble of an ancient tractor engine, starting then dying, starting then dying, over and over. This would make sense. Chet Rolson, the meth lab's proprietor, is a collector of well-used farm equipment. Ditto for junked cars. I see him tinkering with them in his front yard from time to time. But Jenny insists the sound is the cry of something living. It's a distressed mammal. It's hungry. It's angry. She holds to this belief, and the sounds have become very upsetting to her. They're torturing that poor thing, she says. What poor thing? That poor thing, whatever it is, they're torturing it. Maybe that's the sound it's supposed to make. Maybe it's a perfectly healthy and happy thing, whatever it is, I say. She shakes her head. Nothing that makes a sound like that could be happy. Just listen to it. I'm an animal. You're an animal. Animals know when other animals are in trouble. It's instinct. But it's not an animal, I tell her. It's a threshing machine. Granted, they may very well be torturing that threshing machine. Jenny does not appreciate my attempt at levity. I'm not kidding, Mark, she says. Her facial expression confirms this. Jenny is one of those women whose sympathy for living things is unconditional. Anytime a dog or cat is discovered lost in the neighborhood, she champions the effort for its safe return, printing flyers and insisting we house it until the owners can be contacted. We've acquired two cats this way, Boomer and Travis. Once, Jenny found an injured fox pup in the front yard. She built it a nest in a cardboard box and nursed it back to health. You're such a caring soul, I tell her. It's my maternal instinct, she says, looking everywhere except at me. I'll stop there. That's that's so good. I hadn't read that story yet. Um, that was I, I I admitted to you before you came in. I've only kind of picked and choose, but um, what? So this is a, this is a short story collection, and and it came out of I think we we talked about this last time, but it it was part of your thesis project, right? Yeah, MFA? So. about half of the stories were in my my MFA thesis um, for EWU, and then uh, the other half I wrote uh, in the two years following graduation. Okay, uh, and those original stories that were in my thesis didn't have much cohesion to them. They were just things that I had written during that time. I put them together. Um, so then it was my goal to try and write things that would somehow fit with the others to make a collection that felt like it had some unity to it, even though the stories are all about 
about totally different things. Uh, and I think I arrived at something that does that. I don't know. Um, but I, I feel like it does. So do you mean like there's, there are certain themes that are – because even just in what you said, there are details in that story that I haven't read that sort of relate to things that I, other, that I read um, previously. And obviously, you know, reading uh, – the, the reader kind of can, can weave these stories together the way they want to. But, I mean, I guess what, what do you think about what sort of ties these stories together? Yeah, sure. So I think that the overarching uh, – like link between them is that they all have something in them. They either have uh, like a very common problem that the protagonists are dealing with in a very unusual setting, or mm -hmm. they're uh, dealing with an unusual problem in a very common setting. So there's this clash between really normal stuff and really strange stuff, and that's like something that's in each and every piece. Um, then there are a lot of smaller links. There's a lot of repeated imagery um, and sort of occurrences mm -hmm. in the stories. You see some things that just happen over and over and mm -hmm. over. Um, and the, the, the first couple of pages of the book are actually, it's called the index of things to come. Right. There's a giant list of all of those things that you're going to see repeated over and over and over. Um, but those, you know, they aren't really content. They're almost sort of window dressing of just like, oh, um, there sure are a lot of squid in this book, <laughs> uh, but you don't need to derive meaning from that necessarily. <laughs> Did you did you write the index before or after you had put these stories together? After it was actually like one of the very last pieces oh, wow. um, of the book. Uh, I actually I poached it from another author's short story collection. I saw something similar done in a, another book. Uh, that index came in the back of the book, like indexes traditionally do. But mm -hmm. um, I saw it done in another collection. I was like, oh, I think I can doing something similar would actually be cool for, for this book as well. Did it surprise you that you'd use so many of the same symbols and ideas in a lot of these stories or did that, was that caught, were you cognizant of that as you kind of crafted these? Uh, at a certain point I began playing them up. Like there are mm -hmm. definitely things that do come up in my stories a lot just because I like them. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, yeah, you know, like at one point I was writing stories and I was sending them to my dad and he was like, you write about squid a lot. This is weird. <laughs> and I was like, you're right. I'm going to keep going. Yeah. Um, but then there are other things that I did play up because I wanted those connections. And mm -hmm. so I look for places where uh, it sort of felt organic to put in something that uh, was a, a, a visual from one of the other mm -hmm. stories. So this, this, uh, the title comes from the first story that's, that's in the collection and it's, um, I, I I was interested because I was a, I'm a huge fan of of Melville when I was when I was growing up. I mean, and also when I would uh, in college and stuff, I would read a lot of him. And your, this story is it's it's really interesting. It's told from the there, there's sort of a twist in the middle, and I don't know if you want to get into that or whatever. But who's actually telling the story is um, sort of played with. Uh, what is uh, uh, what that person is? What's motivating that person? And sort of. Um, their inner struggles become much more clear as the story kind of it's it's a very dense story for only like I mean it's like twelve pages or whatever but um, what was was that sort of uh, is it do you think that that's sort of anchoring the collection why is the collection named after that I mean where where does it fit in with all of this I guess yeah that's a that's a good question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, I have them every like three weeks. So just so you know. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, so the, the title story, I'm Fine But You Appear to Be Sinking, is actually the oldest in the collection. It was the first one um, that I wrote, and I think it's just sort of happenstance that I felt like it sets a tone for the rest of the mm-hmm. book, which is why it's the title piece and also the first one. Um, but that tone is, I think, a very dark one and a funny one. Like, it's mm-hmm. both, in my mind, one of the saddest pieces in the book and the mm-hmm. funniest. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it's the first piece in the collection because I think it sort of like just drops the reader into that. It's like, look, uh, the stuff's going to be dark, but it's mm-hmm. also, you know, going to be twistedly funny. At least mm-hmm. I, I think so. Yeah, I, no. hope, I hope nobody reads the collection is like, that wasn't funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, uh, I mean, a lot of the comedy, I guess, in that story comes from you know what the dog's doing the dog's name is Plymouth and all that kind of stuff and then um just uh, uh just the absurd sort of um situation that these people find themselves in and and why they find themselves in that story and that's uh and then you, you I mean it, this this is the thing I have with with short stories in general and maybe you share this or whatever um it's really important how you end it i mean it's 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 important how you start it but a short story's weight in impact is in its ending and i think this ends at a perfect spot in this kind of saga that's going on i mean (laughs) were there other drafts where it continued or did you always know that this was this image that you wanted to end on not telling people i guess you know it's tough because we we want people obviously to go out and read the book but um kind of talk a little bit about that if you could yeah no i think that's a, a good observation um i feel like short stories are very similar to gymnastics you have to stick the landing right uh, otherwise it all falls apart um and i wish i knew who to ascribe this quote to but i've heard it said that um novels are inherently redemptive short stories are punitive wow <laughs> i haven't heard that <laughs> I and I don't know who who that quote comes from. Okay. Um, I didn't make it up, uh, but I think that, that you could the, just pass it off as your own. That's really insightful, I guess. <laughs> no, somebody would hear this and be like, "No, yeah, she wait didn't a make that up." Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I feel like like the story is it's it's pretty punitive mm-hmm. at the end. Um, I think some of the other pieces in the collection less so. Yeah. Um, and that was always the ending for for that story. I always yeah. knew that that's where uh, the characters were gonna gonna end up. Um, I don't really believe in. Uh, I know some people like spoilers really upset them. Yeah. I don't believe in spoilers. Okay. Um, so well, you know, right I'll, I'll just you say to. that like uh, that uh, as. I don't know. I think that astute listeners, they'll be like, oh, this story takes place on a boat. I bet that doesn't end well. And it, right. it doesn't. Right. It ends in the way that things could end badly on a boat. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that, but that was, that was always my intention for, mm-hmm. for those characters. Well, I, I told you before, and, and I mentioned this on the podcast, I've only had a, a, a brief amount of time with the book. And the next story that I kind of flipped to just just out of uh just i was reading or i was judging books or short stories by their names was um uh, and i'm gonna butcher it probably but uh you were talking about stories that aren't as punitive and i think katie eats boston cream pie in a southeast motel portland motel diner is that close to the right answer katie eats boston cream pie at a motel diner in southeast there we go close it's a mouthful yeah um that one again, I think the the ending of it is just um, a, incredibly powerful. Um, what, and then I thought about it in in context in the context of the title of the book, and it's "I'm fine, but you appear to be sinking." 
the the stories that I read, nobody really seems to be fine in this. <laughs> They're all dealing with something. I mean, is that is that true of the rest of the book, kind of? Or I mean, kind of talk about that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Nobody's in a great place right. in this in this collection. Um, but so many of the characters, I think, refuse to acknowledge it. Uh, mm. Like and mm-hmm. like, Katie is a great example of yeah. that in that story where it takes her almost like she's in the midst of doing something very bizarre, and it mm-hmm. takes her so far into the story to acknowledge that her actions uh, are like really as weird mm-hmm. as they are. Um, but yeah, you're right. That story, that's less punitive. Like mm-hmm. it, it ends in kind of a little bit of a nicer, mm-hmm. a nicer spot. Um, I'm still not, I'm not certain that Katie's going to be okay in yeah. the grand scheme of things, but she definitely um, seems just as alone as the other people in the book, even if they're around other, other people or other this is a spoiler for where we're going to go with this, but other creatures, they definitely, there's, there's a sense of loneliness, I think, in a lot of these So people. lonely. Yeah. yeah. Right. Everybody's so lonely yeah. Yeah. in this book. Um, and I, like, hadn't realized that until, like, somebody else pointed at it out to me. Like, mm-hmm. I hadn't been thinking of that as a, a thread through the collection. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if that says more about, like, my internal workings. Um, somebody's like, your characters are all really lonely. And I'm like, oh. Aren't we all? Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> it's a human condition sort of thing or whatever. Right. Um, and uh, another thing that sort of unites them is um, it's a lot of them either, uh, well, I mean, and, and again, I'm speaking for the stories that I read, maybe not for the stories writ large, but, you know, their obligations to society have sort of faded away a little bit through whatever happens, whether they lose a job or they're they're out of a relationship or something like that. And um, I, I see a lot of um, literature maybe maybe criticized but also lauded for that, where the characters – I'm thinking, you know, I read a lot of Murakami. I don't know if you read a lot of Yeah, I love him. him. Yeah. I mean, and, and I could see that in this, in this work. You've got characters that are very introspective because things that are occurring around them are sort of out of their control. I mean, what, what do you think of that idea? I mean, I, I just saw that a lot in your work. I mean, is that – yeah, Is that kind of sure. what you're going for? Or? Yeah, no, I think like a lot of these people are very, yeah, they're cut adrift in some way from something mm-hmm. that was, was tethering them, um, which is like in the title story, that's sort of in the most literal way where these folks are lost at right. sea um, and then everybody else is having sort of the, I don't know, metaphorical version of that in their situation in mm-hmm. some way, um, which I think is, yeah, it's a very common storytelling technique too is to drop a a character into a situation where they've they've just lost something and Mm -hmm. are trying to make sense of that in some way Mm -hmm. so um yeah you might even you know it's a bit of a device to just Mm -hmm. say if i if i take a person in who was one way and i cut them free of that let's see what happens yeah that's interesting and i think we might have even talked about that's got my head thinking the last time you were here if we talked about that just sort of a shortcut to Conflict, because all of these stories need some sort of conflict yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think most writers have their, their sort of go-to patterns, mm-hmm. for sure, and that's one of mine. Because, yeah, mm-hmm. you have to develop the conflict somehow. You know, you've got your idea for, okay, here's, here's a situation or here's a character that I want to play with. Um, where are we going to go with it? And you've got to figure out where the friction is that's going to mm-hmm. be interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, the friction in uh, the third and final story I read, and I, I encourage people to obviously pick up the book and, and read all of them, uh, and I intend to do the same when I have five minutes to myself, but um, 
excitable creatures is a story that um, we mentioned Wild Child in the in the beginning, which was the last time you were here, and we were talking about that from your your summer story. And I saw a lot of of parallels in that um, excitable creatures. Again, we have a character who's on the verge of losing a job they don't really care about, um, so to speak, just uh, from a uh, you know a soul standpoint. Like just they they they're making money and all that kind of stuff. And it's it it also uses the the um, if I'm remembering correctly, it uses a second personal pronoun. Yeah. So it's like you. Mm-hmm. This is you and, and all this kind of stuff. And as a strange creature shows up, we're not really sure what it is, and weird things start to happen in the neighborhood. And again, I mean I'm 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 kinda harping on the same thing, but it ends on this really sort of strong note of what's gonna happen here. I mean, was that was that also a story that you knew sort of how it was gonna end and sort of crafting it as it went along or how did that one come about I guess that one I think originally had a different uh and far less satisfying ending I'm hard pressed to think of what it was um, but that story took me a long time to figure out where I wanted it Mm -hmm. to go uh and even what the what sort of was to it besides uh like I just really liked the idea of somebody finding an animal that they couldn't identify but befriending it despite that and it took me a long time to figure out what that story was really going to be about Um, that went through a lot a lot of drafts to get where it ultimately is Uh Uh, yeah so the the protagonist losing her job that wasn't in the original version the ending was different yeah Uh, a lot changed about that it was really just the the notion of like, yeah, what if what if you went out in your backyard and there was something where you're like, I know it's an animal, but I don't know what it is, right. but I kind of like it. I kind of saw it as like Cousin It. I saw Walter <laughs> as Cousin It laying down. Walter's a really interesting name. Did that come from anywhere? Did you ever have a pet named Walter or what was, what was that? <laughs> no, I wanted to name it something that was like a very human yeah. name, you know, that would almost be like, it just kind of heightens the absurdity of like, if you have this big this like giant weird creature and you're like, Oh, it's Walter. It's just sort of like an old man name. Yeah, it sure is. Well, um, so now that the collection's out, I mean, you've been working on this for how, I mean, when you say thesis, how long did it take you to sort of put all these things together? Uh, so I think that the first story in the collection I wrote in 2009. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, I was in school at Eastern from 2010 to 2012. Mm-hmm. Uh, continued writing the stories for another two years. Um, and then now it's coming out at the beginning of 2017. So that's a pretty long process. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. Does it feel finished to you? It does. Um, I think, though, only because now it's a like a physical object mm-hmm. that I can hold in my hands. And mm-hmm. so when I look at it as a book, I'm like, yeah, all right. I feel good about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really, you know, I wasn't sure for a long time. And I went through even the, the dra- the manuscript draft is very different. Like the first version of it than what the book ultimately is. Really? Um, yeah. This went through, through a lot of change and a lot of edits um, in between the point in time where I, uh, said like I think I've written a book to mm-hmm. the point where Featherproof accepted it for publication to what it has become mm-hmm. since. Um, a friend of mine uh, who's coming over tonight from Seattle for the reading actually texted me this morning. It was a screenshot of a text that I had sent to her um, in the summer of 2014. Yeah. Like we were chatting, and I was like, "Hey, 
I finished a, a draft of a short story collection, mm-hmm. um, but you know, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if it's any good. I don't know what's yeah. you know g- where it's, it's going to go from there. Um, and I was like, man, it really did change a lot yeah. <laughs> uh, in the the subsequent years. Um, were there were there stories that were included that were cut, or stories that you added as a result of this, or is it always sort of been the same makeup, just changing different moving parts, I guess, of it? Um, no, there are uh, three other stories that have cycled in and out of okay. the manuscript mm-hmm. um, that then aren't in this version. And then some of the stories that are in this have left and come back. Okay. Um, I am the, I think we made the right choices mm-hmm. uh, with what, what ended up in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there were, there were others that were considered. Uh, the biggest change, I think, structurally is the story Spud and Spud 2, yeah. which is split up into seven different parts mm-hmm. in uh, the book. That was originally all one story. Okay. Um, yeah, the the splitting up into chunks happened later. And that's to a sort of guide the reader kind of through there or whatever. Yeah. 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 Uh, and honestly, like, there's an element of that that's just weird for weird's sake. It was something that my editor at Featherproof had suggested, and I was like, yeah. I've never seen that done in a short story collection before. Let's try it and yeah. see if it works. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, I think that, you know, you can certainly read all of those, uh, the Spud and Spud 2 sections just on their own. Mm-hmm. You don't need the other stories between them. And mm-hmm. similarly, the other stories don't need the Spud and Spud mm-hmm. 2 sections between mm-hmm. them. Um, but I think it's more fun mm-hmm. the way it is. As, as sort of a comic book and video game dork, I just ask you the question, do you, could, do you think that, like, all of these stories take place in the same sort of world, like, your character from one story could meet in another, <laughs> or are these all happening like in sort of strange, different multiverses? I don't know. That's probably a geeky question. But. No, I like that. It's yeah. like uh, like with John Hughes movies, right? Right. Like right. They're yeah. all with Ferris Bueller, yeah. The Breakfast Club Kids, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I had talked about that with the Featherproof folks about mm. whether, um, and also with my thesis advisor, mm-hmm. like years ago, about whether some of some people should pop up in other places yeah. as a way of, you know, like Kilgore Trout and yeah, or something. yeah, yeah. Uh, and ultimately dismissed that. I think they they are living in in different worlds, mm-hmm. um, and they don't necessarily need to be seen as connected mm-hmm. to one another like i don't think of it as one big universe where all of these strange things could happen i think of them as as isolated yeah yeah so it's it's sort of off your plate now you've got the the reading tonight at aunties and and the signing and stuff do you do you have additional events planned and and sort of where do you go from here do you continue i mean i i assume you've been writing the whole time but may, maybe not i mean what's what's next for you i guess yeah for sure uh so i'll continue to promote the book um i'm going to do uh sort of a small northwest tour um at some point in the the coming months um and then uh, a few other places as well um so i'll be be around reading it mm-hmm. and doing other stuff for it for a little while and then yeah i'm continuing uh to write um short stories and then uh working on a sort of a longer novel length project as well uh so we'll see where all of that takes me and in, in the coming I don't know, months and years. <laughs> yeah, very cool, very yeah. cool. So where can, it's, it's at Auntie's right now. Is it being, is it at other bookstores in town? And I assume also through Featherproof, how can folks find it and find you on 
Than yeah, for sure. Um, so you can find the book a lot of places, actually, yeah. uh, which I was pleasantly surprised about. Because um, Featherproof is, you know, they're a smaller press, but they've really done uh, a great job, and their distributor as well, of, uh, you know, I think promoting it. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, you can find it at Auntie's. You can also find it uh, at Barnes and Noble here in town. Um, I think uh, other bookstores in the Northwest have it as well. My mom lives in Bellingham, and she said she found it at Village Books oh, nice. there the yeah, other day. That's important. Um, <laughs> yeah, she 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 bought a copy, even though she already had one, just yeah. so she could take it up to the cash register and say, "My daughter wrote this. You need to order more of them." <laughs> Thanks, Mom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. She, do, she does good work yeah. for me. Um, you can also find it online through uh, the Featherproof website, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, even Target's website oh, wow. uh, sells cool. it. You can order it online through Auntie's as well. Uh, so basically any of the, the normal um, online book venues. Cool. Has it? Um, there's no uh, ebook version of it, though. You gotta okay. you gotta get the the was physical that, is that, Was that something you insisted on, or is it just something that's not available yet? Uh, I think I don't know if Featherproof does ebooks oh, okay. for any of theirs. Yeah. Um, but I kind of think it's for the best because I think it is like they really did make this an art object. Mm -hmm. Like I'm so stoked with what they they did to it. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the the artwork and even like the images on the inside yeah, or all of the stuff from right the, the, the stories. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like a fun little. Um, like where's Waldo? There's like you know if you find the people having sex, you you win. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's certainly an arresting front image too. You've got sort of this. I, I mean, a, it's a seascape, right? And then there's a gentleman or a, a, a woman in full undersea garb there, right? Like, or is that? Oh, he's an astronaut. Yeah, he's an astronaut. Although, I mean, it would make more sense if if he yeah. was a. But I don't want it to make sense. Yeah. I mean, that would that would be not be in keeping with, with the theme of the book. Well, uh, Lena, I, I hope you come back if you write something else. We love yeah, having you on and, and talking about your fiction and stuff. Um, so, do you have a, a like a website for you? And I and do. How do folks yes, find that. And yeah, stuff? Uh, LenaCrow dot com. Okay, um, and then I'm also on Twitter, LM Crow. Uh, although I'm not that interesting on Twitter, um, <laughs> but folks well, are welcome. Some of us to, aren't. So I mean, to follow I, me. Do our best. <laughs> Lena, it's, it's great to have you on. Good luck with the book and with the, the signings and stuff. And uh, uh, congrats on, on publication. That's awesome. Thanks so much, Kip. They will lay their roses on the tree. Widespread Panic collaborator and world traveler Jerry Joseph brings his eclectic songwriting to the stage of the Bartlett on Wednesday the 22nd. Releasing more than 30 records over a career that began in the early 1980s, Joseph grew up in California before traveling to New Zealand, Ireland, Afghanistan, and elsewhere, picking up sounds that influence his songwriting style. Joseph will play with his full band, the Jack Mormons, and tickets start at 10 bucks through the Bartlett's box office. And helping me out with events this week, since Nathan has departed the program, is uh, uh, Spokane 7 editor Carolyn Lamberson. So thanks for coming in, Carolyn. Thanks, Kip. It's good to be here. So you, you had mentioned before, before we get on with the rest of these events, that you grew up 
knowing about Jerry Joseph? Like what? what? Well, I lived for twenty years in Oregon, um, mm-hmm. um, and so Jerry Joseph is legendary in the state. He played all of the plays. He played all the time. Very well regarded musician uh, in the Portland scene. Was just uh, inducted into the Oregon Music Hall of Fame in the last couple okay. years. So he is. He's an icon. He's an he's an iconic presence in in uh, the Beaver State, and uh, I couldn't find any references to him ever actually having played here before wow. at least under his name so this will be a uh, a good opportunity for people to to uh, see a regional legend in person get out there and catch his debut well take it away carolyn thanks also at the bartlett on friday night the uh stage will play host to the round spokane an extension of the seattle-born performing arts spectacle featuring songwriters slam poets and visual artists combining their talents on the stage spokane's buffalo jones and mark ward are scheduled to provide musical accompaniment tickets are five bucks in advance and eight dollars the day of the show northern quest resort and casino welcomes taste spokane 2017 on friday beginning at 6 p.m the 11th annual event will bring together local spokane restaurants breweries wineries and dessert purveyors to the casino all to benefit the wishing star foundation Tickets start at $60 and can be bought at wishingstar.org. The 39th annual Home and Garden Show will be held this weekend at the Spokane County Fair and Expo Seven Center. Sorry, <laughs> a, a $7 pass will get you in all weekend with vendors showcasing home and garden care products. The show is open noon to 8 p.m. Thursday and Friday, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. Saturday, and 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. on Sunday. Kids under 12 can get in for free, and I know that with the snow melting, we're all very eager to get out there and get some dirt under our fingernails, Absolutely. so this will be a good opportunity to do that. And if you're a vinyl hunter like myself and Carolyn as well, I, I, you, you collect, right? I you? do. Okay. I do. You'll definitely want to check out the KPBX recordings sale on Saturday and Sunday. And this year it's at the Spokane Valley Event Center. In the past it had been at the Lincoln Center, but there's some issues with the roof there, I think. So that's at 10514 East Sprague Avenue. The public radio station has been taking donations of recorded music on vinyl, tape, and CD, as well as movies, and you could probably spend most of the day picking through other folks' discarded treasures. The event runs 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. on Saturday and 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. on Sunday. For more on these and other events, be sure to visit Spokane7.com. One of our most prolific writers at the Spokesman Review is Boise Bureau reporter Betsy Russell, whose Eye on Boise blog is updated multiple times throughout the day with the news out of the Idaho State Capitol. Following our chat with Jim Camden about the Washington legislature a couple weeks ago, Betsy joins us via phone to talk about Idaho politics. Be aware the quality may dip a bit. Joined once again by uh, Boise reporter Betsy Russell, who covers all things Idaho legislature for us for the Spokesman Review. Betsy, thanks for taking some time out of your busy uh, blogging schedule to do this. You're welcome. So um, we had uh, Jim on last week, and he talked uh, quite a bit about things that are going on in the Washington legislature. Um, you obviously have sort of a, a flurry of, of issues that you've been covering. Um, kind of give us a preview of, of I guess, the, the major issues that the Idaho legislature is going to have to tackle this session right now. Sure. Okay. So the major issues that the Idaho legislature knows it has to tackle are mm-hmm. education, health care, taxes, and transportation. Mm-hmm. But that is not what the majority of the session is necessarily being spent on. Okay. <laughs> um, and, and there are a number of reasons for that. First off, on education, there's really widespread agreement on a five-year plan in which we're entering the third year that includes major investments in raising teacher pay. And mm-hmm. the estimated cost for next year is kind of the biggest chunk of that. It was at $58 million, It's up to $62 million. But there's really 
no opposition to that, and all the different stakeholder groups are signed on, and, and it's more a question of how to get it done than whether to do it. Okay. On health coverage, this is an issue that has been really a burning one in Idaho for the last four years because Idaho hasn't expanded Medicaid. Mm-hmm. And so we have 78,000 residents who make too much to qualify for Medicaid, but not enough to qualify for subsidized health insurance plans through the state insurance exchange. Mm. We had a legislative working group that met over the interim, and they reached agreement. They resolved that our legislature absolutely must do something this year to close that coverage gap, but they didn't agree on what. And now (laughs) the legislature arrives, and everything's changing at the federal level. And there's Mm -hmm. so much uncertainty that it's very unclear what Idaho can or will or should do a bill has been introduced to launch a new $10 million program to provide some primary care to some of the people in that gap, in that okay. coverage gap. Um, it hasn't yet had a, had a hearing, but that's clearly a very, very small step toward um, a problem that's much larger. And then on taxes and, and the state surplus, we do have a surplus. The surplus seems to keep growing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the House has already approved a tax cut bill, a $51 million cut in income tax rates, um, both personal and corporate income tax rates. Now, that bill went sailing through the House, very popular with House Republicans. It has not had a hearing yet in the Mm -hmm. Senate, and it is uncertain where that's going to go um, because there's also quite a debate on about transportation funding. Idaho has a huge backlog in road maintenance and bridge maintenance, all kinds of deteriorating problems all over the state with roads and bridges, and there's been talk for several years of doing something major to address that. Two years ago, the gas tax was raised for the first time since 1996, but it was thought to be only a very small piece of what was needed. And mm-hmm. so now there's there's more debate again this session. Do we need to spend more on roads? Um, already, a House committee has rejected a bill to raise the gas tax by another five cents on an emergency basis just for three years to deal with all the big new problems we're having because of this very harsh winter. There are Mm -hmm. roads and bridges failing and breaking up all over the state, but they couldn't even agree to hold a hearing on that bill. Mm -hmm. Um, So now there's a bill that's that's pending in the House to shift uh, $17 million in funding from road funds. It comes from gas taxes and vehicle registrations, and it now goes to uh, provide a portion of the budget for the Idaho State Police for their highway patrol. Mm-hmm. So the idea is, well, let's shift that to roads. Mm-hmm. But then, of course, how do you fund the state police? And there mm-hmm. is no answer to that question. Right. We simply push it off into the future and phase it in. Um, so these are some of the debates that are going on on the big issues. But since there's so little progress on those big issues, this session has been a session of addressing pet peeves. We have had bills introduced <laughs> on every little thing you can imagine um, that is a pet peeve of a legislator or a constituent or some group out there. We had a bill that, that was debated and, and voted down in the House to do away with the requirement for front license plates, and boy, did that get a lot of debate. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a big debate about the kinds of machines that the state lottery uses for its touch tabs, and that also got voted down and killed in the House. We have a major attack on tribal gaming underway right now. Mm-hmm. Um, a bill has been introduced that attempts to, to undercut the legal basis for tribal gaming, even though that's something that voters approved years ago in Idaho, and that's going to a big hearing next week. Um, mm-hmm. We've got a bill to uh, 
punish sanctuary cities, even though we don't have any in Idaho. <laughs> we've, we've got a local legislator from Coeur d'Alene, Senator Mary Sousa, who has introduced legislation to change school board elections and put them into November general elections, which are typically when Idaho only holds partisan, not part, nonpartisan elections like mm-hmm. school boards. Um, we have bills on dog racing. We have bills on gambling. We've, we have a big debate about whether there should be a constitutional convention called to to uh, amend the U.S. Constitution or not. That mm-hmm. debate doesn't seem to be going anywhere, but there are lots of groups involved, and they all have different viewpoints, and they're debating very strongly. That's what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. The Idaho legislative session. <laughs> well, that was such a, a whirlwind sort of uh, uh, <laughs> uh, summary there. It seems to me, and, and, and maybe this is me showing my ignorance or whatever, but if you've got issues with, with funding for for these other things, uh, you know, education, transportation, but you're also voting to um, cut taxes. I mean, where, where, where's that coming in? Like, why, why wouldn't they consider keeping the tax rate the same way it is? And, and maybe that's, that's a uh, ignorant question, but just why, why not use that surplus on, why not use that surplus on the things that, that uh, are, are deemed to be costs that are coming up that need to be addressed? Well, with a large segment of the Idaho legislature, tax cuts are kind of an article of faith. The idea is that tax cuts will stimulate the economy and then generate even more revenue. The problem Mm -hmm. is that has not been our experience here in Idaho. And we had a very sobering experience some years ago when the legislature, on the news of a big one-time state surplus, instituted some pretty far-reaching and large permanent income tax cuts. Mm. Two years Mm -hmm. later, the state was going broke in a recession, and they had to raise the sales tax. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of debate about one-time money and ongoing money, one-time needs and ongoing needs. If we give a permanent tax cut because we have a one-time surplus, will we be in the hole in the future? If we have ongoing needs for education, transportation, health care, and we tap our surplus, will we then be in a hole and not be able to pay for those ongoing needs in the future? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. There, there are a lot of different sides to this argument in the Idaho legislature. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, everybody's fighting over the same money. Um, mm-hmm. And <laughs> the same money could address any of these different matters. Um, and at the same time, there are parts of our state government that, that, are, that operate on what they call dedicated funds. They don't even tap into the state general tax budget they operate mm. with things from specific fees, kind of like we do transportation. Transportation in Idaho is funded by gas taxes and motor vehicle registration fees. Fish and Game, for example, gets mm-hmm. no general tax funds. They operate entirely on the fees that people pay for hunting and fishing licenses and tags and federal funds. Mm-hmm. Well, those Fish and Game fees haven't been raised since 2004, and the oh, Department wow. of Fish and Game has been trying to, well, the ones for Idaho residents, I should say, the out-of-state ones have been. So the Department of Fish and Game has been trying to push some fee increase proposals in the legislature for several years. The legislature has refused to consider them, not because there's not support among sportsmen to pay some higher fees, but because of some other political issues that have intervened, mm-hmm. including the way that Idaho manages its fish and game and, and whether it is willing to auction off tags to the highest bidders in order to raise more money. That's something that Legislators support the Fish and Game Commission does not, and that mm. dispute has held up any progress on a fee increase. The latest we heard this week was that the Fish and Game Commission is proposing a new bill for a $5 surcharge on all hunting and fishing licenses 
that would go to cover depredation, the damage that wildlife causes to ranchers' livestock and crops, as well as other efforts like getting more access for hunters, in hopes that that will um, persuade legislators to maybe also consider the fee increase proposal. Right. We don't know yet if that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there, there are other issues like that that mm-hmm. involve these other funds that are going on right now. At the same time, you know, the main task of the Idaho legislature each year is to mm-hmm. set a balanced budget. Mm-hmm. And a joint committee of the legislature has been working through every state agency's request for funding for next year and reviewing what's likely to be available from tax funds, and they're going to start setting agency budgets on Tuesday. Okay. And so that process will move forward. Despite some of these bigger issues having not yet been resolved, mm-hmm. the budget will be set based on what we know now. And mm-hmm. when we don't know what will come out of Washington, D.C., when we don't know how the healthcare system will change, we don't even know if there will be a big infrastructure investment bill coming mm. out of Congress. Mm-hmm. But they've kind of just got to do their job. Yeah. Uh, before before we let you go, the, the, the thing that has sort of been on the, the uh, homepage this morning and, and sort of generating a lot of discussion is this idea of raising the, the smoking age from 18 to 21. What's what's sort of behind that? And what's the, uh, for folks that may not have seen that story yet, what's what's driving that really? Sure. It was it was proposed by Senator Fred Martin from Boise, mm-hmm. served for a number of years on a committee that oversees what Idaho does with its proceeds from a national tobacco settlement. Okay. So the state of Idaho put those millions of dollars into an endowment fund, and each year they decide what health programs to give them to, um, including programs to help young people uh, quit smoking or not start smoking. And Senator Martin said he's frustrated. It turns out that 95% of adult smokers started before they were 21. And mm-hmm. he's wondering if we could cut off access to those under 21 if we'd have a whole lot fewer people smoking. Now, the mm-hmm. problem is that, of course, at 18, which is the current age to legally possess or purchase tobacco in Idaho, people are citizens. They can vote. Mm-hmm. They can serve in the military. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of responsibilities, and there there is certainly some resistance to telling them that they can't decide whether or not they're going to smoke. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if that, how far that bill is going to go in the Iowa legislature, but the fact that it was introduced at all means that it is starting a conversation. Yeah, and it's one, it seems like one of those maybe pet projects that you were talking about earlier, just uh, ways of addressing certain... That's I right. mean, obviously, smoking's a big issue, but maybe something mm-hmm. that, that's proposed while these other issues are, are, are being uh, sort of left by the wayside. Is that... Right. Well, while we're waiting, I mean, we had a bill pass the House today that will allow people who are passing another car on a two-lane highway in Idaho to go 15 miles above the speed limit while they're passing. That got a lot of debate and interest. It's an interesting bill. It's not the giant issues that the legislators also they came to town to address, but you know they got to do something. (laughs) <laughs> and, they're, and they're here to, right. to make laws or not make laws, and, and that's the kind of thing they're looking at. <laughs> the lights are going to be turned on regardless, yeah, for sure. Well, uh, Betsy, we, we know you get a busy day. Uh, how do folks find your stuff online during the day and um, keep up with what's going on in Boise? Just go to spokesman.com slash Boise. That's my Eye on Boise blog, and mm-hmm. it is frequently updated uh, throughout every like, yes, day absolutely. what's going on down yeah. here. Um, yeah. and, and we'll have links to the legislature sites as well. Perfect. All right. Well, we'll let you go, Betsy. Thanks so much for checking in. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Now let's leave you, as we always do, with five stories from the Inland Northwest last week you'll want to know about. Here to help me again is uh, Spokane 7 
uh, editor Carolyn Lamberson. So, Carolyn, go right ahead. Why, thank you. Widespread flooding was reported late last week as melting snow and heavy rain moved into the Spokane region. Laytaw Creek, also known as Hangman Creek, hit flood stage on Friday for the first time in 20 years. Nearby towns reported minimal issues as of Friday, with a field in Tekoa <laughs> seeing some flooding. The stormwater system in Spokane was stressed by the snowmelt, causing raw sewage mixed with stormwater runoff to run into the Spokane River through at least six pipes in the downtown area. A measure that would have required Washington residents to attain a special license for assault-type guns appeared unlikely to pass this session after a key House committee failed to vote on the proposal last week, Jim Camden reported. The House Judiciary Committee instead voted on more incremental changes to gun laws after opposition from the National Rifle Association to more sweeping regulations. Officials in Coeur d'Alene are working on plans to construct a $5.9 million parking garage downtown to alleviate congestion during the summer months, Becky Kramer reported. The planned garage would accommodate 370 vehicles to satisfy the growing demand for parking identified in a 2016 report. The garage would stand four stories tall and construction could begin as early as later this year, Kramer reported. The tree that will stand outside the U.S. Capitol during the 2017 holiday season will come from the Kootenai National Forest in western Montana, the U.S. Forest Service announced this week. A kickoff event was held in Eureka, Montana over the weekend, a full 10 months before the tree will be delivered to Washington, D.C. The Payette National Forest provided the tree last year, and the Colville National Forest was selected to provide the tree in 2013, Becky Kramer reported. And flyers found at Washington State University in Pullman last week urging people to report, report, quote, illegal aliens to U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement appears to be the work of a white supremacist group, Chad Sokol reported. WC President Kirk Schultz responded to the posters on Twitter saying the university supports its undocumented students. The flyers appeared similar to ones handed out in Texas and prepared by a racist group there, which claimed credit. For more on these and other stories, visit Spokesman.com. And that will do it for the Spokesman Review podcast this week. Thanks for tuning in. A reminder that you can find all episodes of the show on iTunes and Stitcher or stream them in your browser at spokesman.com slash podcast. We're also on social media. On Twitter, our handle is at Spokane underscore podcast. And our Facebook page is facebook.com slash Spokane podcast. You can also email us directly, podcast at spokesman.com. Thanks for your patience as we continue this show under a new format. For now, I'm Kip Hill. And I'm Carolyn Lamberson. Saying stay near nature, near the new Spokane. We'll see you next week.